0: So things were starting to slip away i guess and the last record for mass production came in 83 and the title um it's just 83. seems like it was kind of uh, frankly thrown together or something um what were the circumstances of that final record with uh can tell
1: we didn't number one we we didn't name that album um that particular album, because something's, you know, uh, Henry Mancini is on that album. Uh, Herb Alford is on on the album. No, which Her, one? Herbie, Herbie Mann, yeah, Who played? Herbie, is on that. Herbie Mann is on that. And um, what happened was that um, Herbie Mann, it's very, it very came to me that I need to talk to you because something is going on. Something is happening. Something is happening up at the up at the Rock, which is Rockefeller, you know, Rockefeller Center something is happening and I think you guys should know about it and we really need to get together because this management thing producer management thing you got is going in the wrong direction and we need to get you to go in this direction quickly and um, he was he was he was just trying to pull my sleeve and at that point uh, something happened where he just pulled back in the background but when we were doing the album, um, we we were at the point that we didn't know what was going on but simply because of the fact of that um, it was just all over the place. We Mass production at that time had always had Studio A in, um, at, up at Atlantic Records. This album was recorded in Studio C. And, I mean, it was, it was a good room, but it wasn't A. We were used to A, you know, we were, we were treated like that. But we didn't think much about it until we would say, okay, wow, we didn't see this time. And uh, like I said, when things came about to find out what was going on, it kind of like flags were going up, flags were just happening, which at that point we weren't paying attention to because of the fact that that we thought, you know, we thought everything was good, everything was good, everything was cool. So, I mean, that record was, you
0: know, a lot of, More instrumentals than usual, more electronic, less horns. There were no singles. Um, It was kind of a hodgepodge of stuff, uh, really.
1: Um, There's a song up there called Victory. And Victory was when uh, the engineer first introduced to us the Lynn drum machine. And we we did victory all that evening because we had no more. It was because of the fact of like, you know, uh, okay, this is like we don't know what's happening here. You know, he we've been told one thing and and this is happening. And when you just got a song with just a, a drum machine and a board, <laughs> you know, that's basically what it was. Uh it was only thing out of that album that we pulled Sundancer off, you know, we really love Sundancer because th- that was in the be- beginning of when we started recording, but as the album started to go along, that's when a lot of, you know, like I said, disinterest in, in what was happening around this game. We mentioned Prince earlier, but
0: I felt like a little bit of the Minneapolis sound influence on that record too, you know, and probably like your sandaline drum and all that.
1: Yeah. The Lindrum. It was when at that time. I mean, right now. It's, at that time, when it, when they first brought that Lindrum in, you know, the thing about it is we wish we had discovered it early. But like I said, we were musicians. I mean, Jackie said we just musicians, and musicians did not want to hear any anybody playing their instrument other than you know the musician. So we we didn't pay much too much attention to the Lindrum until at that point, but. Um, uh, the, the synthesizers still, like you said, were very important to us because, you know, that was our fallback. Uh, Oldest at that time, he was playing, Drumgold, the trumpet player at that time, he had wanted to veer away from from uh, playing horn because of the fact that uh, uh, it, it, it had started to bother, you know, his lower lips. So he wanted to just produce more. So a lot of changes were coming back during the end of that uh during the end of that period. And like like I said, because of the fact that we realized that uh we had gotten to arguments with the record company. I'm talking about literally at, at that point, they were knock knocked down, drag out arguments about the fact of that who was gonna take control of the group and the uh and the music. And that's when we have, we were started out in A. I believe Sundance was in A. And then we ended up in C, after the arguments. So that's, like I said, red flags. And mass production at that time was seeing this sort of like, course going in a different direction.
0: Did you guys uh, ever get an opportunity to do music videos? I don't recall. Did, did the label support
1: uh, you? Did you go where? Uh,
0: did the label? I don't recall. Yeah. Did the label support you with any music video productions?
1: Um, music music videos. Um, I tell you a very strange story about that, a very good one, and which one I'm kind of proud of. When we at first out did Firecracker uh, and Fired Up, um, there was a, there was a little known director. He was an unknown director at the time that WEA had hired to do us and a group called Zebra at that time. And and Zebra, so uh, John Landis took uh, mass production. And Zebra brought us over to the studio, uh, a a, a television studio, which then they do Law and Order now. But they brought us over. the television studio over in north Bergen and they shot these videos they shot firecracker and they shot uh uh eyeballing now fired up firecracker fired up i don't know what they did they did a song a couple, a song from zebra at then moment before we came, we came after we shot the video we sat down and uh we remember with, with um and we're sitting at this long board table and and he pointed out the fact it's nice but it really is nothing in the world we can do with a music video i mean we don't see any marketability in it. so you know it was great but we shed the project down and so we walked out of rockefeller you know rock atlantic records rockefeller pass okay there's nothing, you know, this music video thing is just, you know, it's really nothing to it. And so, and that's, and that's the story behind Firecracker and they shelled it. Is, and from is that, then on, that was eight. Yeah. Is, is that video on YouTube? Yeah, well, it's on, um, I believe it is on our Facebook site. Mass Production and Band is is up there, but both of them are up there, but that that, Actually, it's a true weird story, and, and at the moment, we you know at that point in life, we didn't think anything about it. They say music videos is nothing; they never nothing ever come of them because there's no no way to market them, you know. And hey,
0: another great so, prediction.
1: Yeah. Right. Hey, so how did you guys
0: take parting ways with your label, and what was sort of the aftermath of that?
1: Um. We um uh, we didn't, we didn't know anything about, it. we didn't know we were a drop. Um Ellaby came to us and told us, hey, well, we're not, we, you know, we're not picking you guys up. Don't worry about it. I got this all under control. And and the reason being was that we we found out, you know, like I say, at that point, it was about maybe a few months later that they wanted their publishing. We were a young group and like a young group that signed a lot of contracts. When we signed a group, when we signed a contract with him, we gave him 100% of our publishing. Mm-hmm. So right now that's, that's one of the biggest no's that anybody in the world could do. But we didn't know that, you know, at the time that that's, that that is nothing that you should do. We signed our publishing over to him. And they, in the sub, WAA, W-A wanted a portion of that publishing and he would not give them to him any means necessary. We didn't know it at the point. Because if we did, we would say, hey, give them what they want. But uh, he was not buckling. He was not giving them any of the publishing. That's what was going on right after Three Miles High started. And uh, like I said, we weren't privy to that information. So when he came and told us that they were dropping us, we we said, OK, they're not resigning us. As he put it, we said, OK, and, and we're going to move on to the uh, next company. Um, we were kind of like, you know, uh, I don't know, disillusioned at that time, I wouldn't say, but we, we had faith in him because we didn't know what was really transpiring in the background. So we believed that he was going to like put this all together. But come to find out that he wasn't letting go of anything as far as like the publishing, not only did he sign us up, our publishing 100%, he had it in so called perpetuity. And uh, that was a real game changer for especially for a lot of people that wanted to work with us they they weren't having that so we got like hey uh, thank you very much but we can't do any business with you because we can't do any business with this guy so he turned out to be a
0: real double edged sword for you guys he kind of helped you get up and going
1: and then yeah yeah and you know, Scott, that that that's what became a real kind of a, a enigma for us because you you put it what you just said was the truth. He's the one. He was the one that pulled us in the game. He was the one that got got us going. He propelled us up. But then on the other hand, he was doing this to him, so it, it just became a tough decision for us because lawyers, people were coming out. You got to do this to this guy, and you got to do do that to this guy, and we still had kind of a blind loyalty to him, you know. But you know, if it wasn't for him, we would have been into it. But yeah, forget all of that. You got to go after. It. So it became a mixed kind of notion of what we should, should do. But you yeah. were absolutely
0: So you guys, uh, at what point did you kind of say, you know what? It doesn't look like we're going to get a deal. And then what did you guys just <clears throat> decide at some point and kind of go on into your own lives and do other stuff?
1: Or did you guys still tour for a while or what? um some of us uh decided that we were going to break away from him we did sign uh we did sign with him again after that after that seven you know that seven years we signed with him again but at that point uh tyrone lecoy and nine a couple of us we had went through something like with rodney rodney had had a problem so the 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 core of us decided to contract and that we weren't going to sue him, but we were going to walk away from him. Some of the guys said they still had faith in him. They still believed in him. So they they stayed with him. And so that's why that's what happened to mass production. But the thing of it is, is that we as a group with each other, we had no issue with each other. So the thing is that when uh, the three or four of us decided to walk that way and they decided to walk that way, it was the thing of a, a split between us, the the from getting away from him, but in, in high, but we were really still connected to to each other. And that made it kind of tough too. So that's when we decided, okay, we were just gonna, you know, try to find another, you know, another manager and try to do it it that way. But the strange thing about it is that now we we were manager shy because of the fact that we got bitten. And a lot, of, a lot of the guys that were popping up on, to be our manager was bringing in that same clause, you know, that uh, hey, the publishing and all of this, you know, and, and it, it was kind of like when you couldn't find we couldn't find anybody that was really like okay, we weren't going to we weren't going to do that anymore. That's when things came to a back of, Ah. We're not going to sign to a. We may not get assigned to, to the label that's MASH production anymore. So we just mentioned off into doing our own thing.
0: Did you keep writing songs for any period of time? Do you have a backlog of any songs?
1: We have a great. We've been matter of fact. We um. We have several songs on our on our Facebook um, uh, song our site. We have one particular one because because um. Uh, Oh, we don't have all eyes on you, uh, let your hair down. And the, the, the catalog of songs about this many DVDs high, DVDs high, as in backup storage, because we couldn't stop writing. Couldn't stop writing. We may have not been recording, but we couldn't stop writing. And so all of us, uh, my, my younger brother, uh, Tyrone, Alico, and myself, we stayed together as a unit And we always just got together and we just wrote and wrote and wrote all these many years, you know. And like I said, we we still got a strong catalog of what we've done. It wasn't until we decided we had gotten with Larry Rachel at this point where we said, well, Larry came to us and said, hey, man, we gotta, you know, we do something about this. And we said, hey, why not? Because of the fact that, that, you know, we still want to do it. We still love, you know, we still got the marching band in us. So let's try to do something
0: you know. That's a a fantastic thing for me to hear and for viewers and fans to hear and um, wanted to uh, thank Larry for helping get this together too. Um, I wanted to uh, ask you about, you know, later in the 80s, Two Life Crew had, you know, that huge hit using the firepacker music. How did you take Mm -hmm. to that and were you able to get any proceeds from that?
1: uh yes i uh, um luke we we had worked that out personally between uh luke and myself that old thing because i didn't even know anything about it uh i thought that was the greatest thing in the world you know it really was it was the great when i first heard it i thought it was funny you know how somebody could take something of yours you know you hear something someone when you're around something you it, it people don't hear it or see it like, you do when you're close to something. So when I heard it and I said, really? He found, you know, he found life in that, you know? And uh, then the the initial response of what he got, especially with the lyrics, I was like, you know, my, my skull was filled back, you know? <laughs> That's how I happened to get dreadlocks because dreadlocks. It put my hair on my head because it was a great thing. And uh, we worked it out, we worked it out. I called him up, he called me and we said, hey, you know, it is what it is, man. That's 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 firecracker. And from that point on, um, it's been, you know, up until this day. Uh the right thing has been done. He became the right guy that stepped up on day one. He really did. Not like a lot of, I didn't have to fight him, didn't have to go to court with him, didn't have to do anything. Uh, Luke, um, Luke Campbell stepped right up to the mat and said, hey, let's handle this man from that, I can't do n- have nothing but respect and love for him, too.
0: Well, that is really refreshing to hear after the other story that preceded it. You know, so glad that yeah. worked
1: out. Um, yeah, it did.
0: Um, I'll ask you a couple more questions and let you go. I really appreciate all the time, Ricky.
1: Um, oh.
0: Yeah, I wanted to um, ask if you could think and share with us your single, it can be two maybe, but most unforgettable memory from the road, from the touring, from the
1: performing. Oh wow! I got uh, I, I it's it, it, it's 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 so many of them. That collectively, kind of like put me on the spot to think to try to put down down just one. But on the road, um, I think for me, being on my experience with meeting the other musicians that were out there, you know. Uh, when we got when we when we started working, um, cats like cool. I mean, cool of cool in the game walked into our dressing room and sat down and started. That that really blew me blew me away. He walked into the dressing room and sat down with us and started talking with us and hanging out with us like we had we known each other for years. Mm-hmm. And I expect he was he was a guy I was listening to. Can't get enough of that funky stuff growing up. And he was someone I idolized, walked into the room and sat down and started talking. The same thing as with Ray Parker too. Ray Parker is another one that was really like, you know, it, it was a lot of people that were really, there was none of some that weren't, but some people that were just exceptionally well, that went beyond this thing of just a, uh, okay, well, we are, we are ego tripping off of being, uh, you know, who we are. It was like, hey guys, what's going on? Here's what's going on. And uh and and a lot of things, a lot of wacky crazy things that was that, you know, that happened. I don't know if you want to get into the wacky crazy things, but like I said, the, the people, man, some of the artists that were that were really uh hanging out with the Isley brothers, you know, um that hang- we hung out a lot with them. But um that was uh, a lot of what was happening as far as like uh on the road. Um uh, uh, it, it, in the studio, I think most of our experiences went down with people who were in the studio, with the people we had met in the studio as more or less like on the road. But because of the fact that, you know, like the thing about being on the road with us was, with anybody, um, playing at a venue that evening, and then knowing if you were in a venue, if you were in Flint, Michigan that evening, and you know you have to be in Detroit the next day. It it it, it became a um, kind of a um, like a like you got you didn't you didn't get a chance to do anything. You finish the gig, you may go to the room to get some sleep, but if you're doing the bus, you got to go to bed so you can be on the bus that night after you get a couple hours of sleep and get back on the road to be in Detroit. So it became a repetition like that, and the biggest thing. I found it, that drove us crazy, like you know, it was eating eating food. But other than that, uh, it was the people. It was the people, the other musicians on the uh, on the road. I guess it's the last of that because what I hear now, it's not like that now. But uh, it was the other people on the road. It kind of like really stuck to me in the incidents. Some crazy, some I think I, because it doesn't it doesn't shine a positive light on some people. But that's a, that's a you know me
0: yeah. Well I also wanted to ask you, um, thanks for that Ricky, in your opinion, what made the mass production sound unique and something of its own making?
1: Um what made it unique? It was um it was an individual. Most of the guys didn't even know this uh, individual. His name is Reginald Duke Walker. Reginald Duke Walker played with Cannonball Alley. And he was the, he was the band director. And he he was the guy that molded us. He, he was the one that trained us. He was the one, the guy that gave us the structure as far as like, you know, the left and right. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Whiplash. But yeah, yeah. bloody Pope hands, was, man, bloody hands. He was that he wasn't as ruler as that guy, but that was Mr. Walker. Wow. But he did it nice. <laughs> he did it nice, and we would and we stood like strong soldiers. He told us move to the left, we moved to the left, we to the right, we moved to the right. And but we did all the things that we did to influence him, to help that he influence us. I can tell you this, in in um in the 10th, when I was in the 10th grade, he told me, this is when uh I was going into my to my junior year. The, the film Shaf came out and he told me that uh, he said, Ricardo, you are you are scoring the song Ellie's Love Thing, which meant that I had to write the score for the 110 plus band. I had to write the score and manuscript every instrument that's on there. I with a pencil, with a pencil and manuscript. That's how we were brought up through that. And from doing it like this, doing it like that, he made every and every one of us do that for particular songs. So with that, when we got together, we it was just hammering into our heads Of this is how things should be. This is how the sound should be. And this is how we should go. So I, I would say that um, he influenced us a lot. He influenced us a lot because He was sort of like our mentor you know and we wanted to be we really did we wanted to impress him we wanted to make this guy happy because like i said he was that bad director and when you got somebody like that you would he sort of like become the one that boom we wanted to please mr walker's happy good to go baby
0: (laughs) was he ever able to come to any of your shows after you became more
1: successful um we he came to uh, one of them we he came in Norfolk, uh, you know, um, when when we, uh, one of our shows, uh we, we didn't see him much because at, at that time in itself, he was a jazz musician. Like I say he played with Cannonball Alley and a lot of guys. He happened to be working on the road and stuff. You know, the band was his thing too. So he was out jamming with his band. So when, when we were having in Norfolk he was somewhere else because we always, always tried to track Mr. Walker down, you know, but uh, we, he never got, he never got to come to any of our shows. We gave, every year we gave him an album because like, you know, he was Mr. Walker, you know, he was our, he was our grandfather.
0: Were there any contemporary drummers um, that you kind of emulated in terms of your drum playing? We, we talked a lot about groups and bands and mentors and things like that but was there anyone out there in the 70s that you know you really emulated on your drumming
1: George Brown George Brown I love George Brown Kool and the Gang mm-hmm. and it wasn't until one day after rehearsal Kool and the Gang came to town and they were up at the up at the Holiday Inn and I made it my business to go up there to meet George Brown and uh I he had his daughter's room open and he had his sticks playing on the, uh, on, the on on the dressing bedroom. I stuck my head in with my sticks and he said, You play drums too. I said, Yes, I do. He said, All right, good luck, keep on playing. I said, I will. And I walked out. But uh, George Brown was a big influence for me. Um uh Chicago's drummer, you know, he Guys like that, you know, uh, uh, blood, sweat, and tears. They were not more or less what you would call funk drummers, but they were the ones I really, I, I was just so odd about. I was absolutely odd about these guys, you know? And, uh, but George Brown, if I had to pick an individual at that time of any band, it would have to be George Brown. Did you do solos in the mass production sets? I never did a solo. Um I can't, I think I may have did solos in the early uh because of the fact that, that we had so many musicians that were doing Rodney was doing solo, Tyrone was doing solo, uh, everybody else, Lico was doing the solo, that the drum solo, unless it was something I forgot what we were doing, uh I remember down in New Orleans, I might have been doing the solo. But I never really did many drum solos, come to think of. You know, I think I was just more or less back behind the band. Uh, just being a solid, you know, piece of stability for them. And basically, yeah, I, I, I never did many drum solos. You know, we
0: talked about how they pushed you singing. Uh, we didn't mention though, how did you feel about doing that in concert? I and mean, that's a whole different ball game. You know, if you have to be up front in that way,
1: was that something that you learned to to be comfortable with? I was in Media, Pennsylvania. The first time I did firecracker, I remember that very well because that was the first time I was um, got introduced to the saying of that my chief, my teeth actually chattered and my knee, I was frightened. I was frightened as I don't know what. I told them I'm not doing this. I am not going out there, and I'm not doing this song. That's it. And 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 it let it be known, it's the truth. The teeth do chatter. For anyone who ever been there fighting, yes, they were chattering in the back. And uh, the, the, once I went out there, Tyrone, he, he, like he's from, um, he made me go out there. I went out there and I did firecracker. And from that point on, I, I never had a problem after that. But the first time was the most frightening experience that I think that I could have experienced. I've been in airplanes where the turbulence dropped and snowflakes that big. I wasn't as frightened as I was going on stage for the first time, Say firecracker. And that's the truth, <laughs> it's wow. horrifying. Wow. it's horrifying.
0: <laughs> um, well, Ricky, so glad that you guys are back together. So tell us a little bit about that. You know, how did you come back together and what's going to be happening now with mass production?
1: Um, okay, now the thing of it is the six of us that are that together, we never, we've been together all these years. Uh, you know, my, my, my brothers, Tyrone, Sam, Lee Coy, and Otis and Larry, we've been together all, uh, we've been always got, we've done small gigs, but we've always gotten together and we've always played together. We always jam. Our thing was that, number one, uh, because of the fact that management was an issue to us, we never did anything live because we did one or two things because it was hard to find that connection to getting out on the road. Because, you know, when you go out on the road, that's a that's a big logistical nightmare. And uh, so when we would just stay together and just hang together and just get together occasionally uh, all the time down in Virginia, right here and just rehearse and just play together we go over to a SmackDown studio. It wasn't until... Um, uh, Larry Rachelson uh, introduced himself and he, and he, uh, he said, Hey, you guys should come on and just, you know, get on the road and do some things. That was the whole notion of, uh, of the fact of that we were getting that. We had just got back together, but that was really more or less like our introduction back to us being on the road, playing together, because we, like I said, we have we been down out in the studio and, um, my brothers and I, we put together on this and we got the studio. And what we do is that we always have been recording. That's where this catalog of songs come from. But we just never took them anywhere because of the fact that that, that in between of getting them from A to B was always a problem. And um uh, we had just been doing like small films and everything. And so when Larry caught it, Larry caught, you know, we caught his attention. He said, Let's let's get together and go on the road. We said, Hey, okay, let's do this, do this. The only issue that uh as we are pointing out to him is something that we have been together for all of these years uh wanting to do but saying talking about going on the road and getting on the road is two different things and uh and if we can make that happen we'll we we'll get to, you know we'll we we'll are and going so we did that and when we got back we found out man it was just as fun as it was when we were doing it and um we uh, we you know we build our Facebook page and what we're doing right now, we 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 were just together a few uh days ago down in Virginia. And a couple of guys are still down there, matter of fact. And we we were talking about logistically what we we're going to do. We with these songs that we we're gonna finish up. We're going back in the studio in two weeks now to finish up these other songs so we can have ready to introduce to the world and put on uh we we're putting we want to do Facebook because at this fact we just we want to give our music, we, want to, you know, we, we just want to do our music, we want people to enjoy our music. Uh, I mean, to make money off of it is a great thing, but if you can get people to just say you like it, that's even a greater thing, you know? So uh, that's where we're at right now.
0: And now it's so much easier to get it out there. There's not those barriers, you know, and you talked about Studio A versus Studio C. With technology now, you can have the equivalent of a Studio A in your basement, probably
1: in your garage, right? Yes, absolutely. We're not that. That's one obstacle that has been like been taken out of the, you know, taken off the floor. That we that one we're not concerned about. We got to we got to come like let your hair down. That's something that we're really happy about. You know, we hope you go up on our Facebook page and check that out. A lot of the things, and we got a little small series with us being on the road. Uh, this time, the last time when we went on the road as as a band, like places that we want to go and things that we want to see, we never got a chance to see because you got to get out of town. You got to get from there. You got to leave from here, go to there. But this time we we were going to like enjoy it. We're going slow. If we got to, we want to, we want to see America. You know, you don't get to see America when you're out there playing the, playing the gig. You just see, get to see a dressing room and the end of a you know, end up a cheese sandwich and hope you don't get sick from that tomorrow, you know. But this time, we want to see America, man. We want to see the world.
0: Yeah, well, you know, of course I'm down south, so
1: yes, I was north from the area code, and I can't wait to tell the guys about you, you know. Um, because of the fact of that um everybody's been on, they told me about your site. They told me about you. And I said, okay, what was happening? And I said, all right, that's going on going on. And I saw your Area code. I said, he should be very familiar with what's going on, what happened to you because that's our area code is right there, you know? And yeah. uh lo and behold, you know, you uh, uh, seem to be well indoctrinated on mass production. Yeah, <laughs> I think you stumped some of the some of the guys, you know, <laughs> as far as like what you asking. I'm glad I had the answers. Hopefully, some of the answers for some of those questions you asked, Scott. I really do.
0: You know, oh, you did fantastic. Um, you didn't let me down at all, um, and or or our viewers. I want to actually uh, also promote to the viewers to go to YouTube because you guys have um, some rehearsal footage on there that was done not that long ago, and that's a lot of fun, also.
1: Oh, oh yeah, we got rehearsal footage. We got a. Uh, we Got some of everything. We try to, we, we 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 try to keep it updated as much as we can. A lot of the stuff we have is still like what we call in the editing room. So, you know, getting your edited and all this kind of stuff is out, but we got rehearsal, we got on the road stuff, we got uh, uh some of everything. We try to be diversified as much as we can. We're uh preparing for a show. Uh, yeah, so we pretty much try to put put our heart and soul, put everything about us up there. You know, that's the internet, man. Just let it out.
0: Yeah. So, what's the URL or what's the you know Facebook page or whatever? Give all that stuff.
1: It's it. Well, our Facebook's mass production the band, and um, you know, you can go up there and and then check us out. We are up there. Uh, a lot of a lot of the things that's what's been going on with us and and what we're we going to be doing in the future. Uh, we're getting together right now. We're going to be re- meeting with, uh, like I said, Larry, and you're familiar with Larry. You've met Larry. Larry is, uh, he's been very instrumental as far as like what's been going on with us. He's more or less like a uh, been the guy that's kind of like the cattle prod saying, you know, hey guys, you know, you guys are just sitting here just, you know, playing, you know, music amongst yourselves. It's jamming. Come on, let's take this element to the next level. And so with that said, that that that's what we're trying to do now. Take it to the next level. And don't forget let your hair down because that's that's up there. And that's our you know latest music, our latest uh, single and music video. You know, the bands
0: like Mass Production and Funk in general have been sort of simmering in the background a little bit. They didn't go anywhere, the music didn't go anywhere, it's just sort of simmering. And I think the last few years it's been working its way up to more of a boil again. And it's just great to see, you know, bands like you guys coming back and, and doing it again.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. Thank you very much, man. We, we, we hope to uh, continue on to this, to get on to this, because of the fact that we we enjoy it. We have uh, the original members that uh, we have six of you know, real life, like I said, it's played this way. A couple of the guys have passed on. and. Um, some of them, a couple of them, are not, you know, doing too well as far as like, you know, life and stuff. But the original members, as enough as in, uh, Nico Bryant, uh, myself, or uh, Tyrone, uh, Sam, uh, Larry Marshall, and James Drumgo, we we are there, to, to, you know, to put it together and to do the thing and get it done. So I'm happy to see this resurgence. And um, uh, it, it's so strange that you used to say that because. When Congress changed the law a few years ago, where a lot of us can get our music back, I think that had a lot to do with a lot of people say, hey, you know, I want to have fun to join this again because a lot of us, it wasn't just us, we thought it was just us, but we found out a lot of groups out there does not own their music. You may hear this song, you may think, people may think they're getting paid and, and the royalties are flowing in, but no, they're not, you know? And, so congress did the right thing by changing that and that made a lot of people say hey let's 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 get back in the game
0: yeah talk about uh writing an in, in injustice i mean god for god's sake finally um it's so great to see especially you know before everybody's gone from that generation i mean we lost so many great players over the past several years so i um, so glad that they're still you know the authentic original item like you guys are still doing it, so keep on doing it and keep on bringing it, Ricky.
1: Thank you, Scott. We're our best. and with people like you, man, supporting us like this, hey, we about to. Hopefully, we about to get back in the game and get back in the game hard. Like I said, we never left it, but to have you know support as someone to say, yelling at us, hey, "Come on out, Rick. Let's do this. Here we go."
0: Thank you so much for doing this, Ricky.
1: Thank you for having me, I really enjoyed it, I really did. And there you have it. Wild and
0: wonderful stories of mass production, courtesy of the still charismatic Ricky Williams. Yet another tale of 1970s and 1980s era music industry, excitement, intrigue, success, fame, deceit, bullshit, decline, and aftermath. But thanks to Truth and Rhythm, we have a happy ending with Mass Productions' legacy preserved and luster restored. A big thanks again to Mr. Ricky Williams for opening up his treasure chest of memories and stories, and also mass production advocate Larry Rachelson for helping coordinate the interview. As always, a sincere thank you to you, the viewers, for watching, for listening, for supporting Truth or Rhythm. Speaking of which, make sure you subscribe. Go to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube and click subscribe. That's all there is to it and you'll be up to date on every single episode. If you've already done so, get a friend or family to do it. We need that support. Show these funk artists, these classic musicians, these people that have given us so much pleasure throughout our lives, listening pleasure, dancing pleasure, um, that, that we care and we support them. So subscribe. Also write me, email G at funkandstuff.net. It should be on the screen about now. And let me know what you like, which you maybe don't like so much, and who else you'd like to see on this program. The show is for you, the music fan. So take command, take control. I get a lot of feedback, and I love it. So let's keep that dialogue flowing. With that, as always, to wrap it up, this is Scott, Dr. James Goldfine, saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.